Super Awkward Fun Cast with your hostess, the mostess, L. Latham, with the mostest propaganda. <laughs> uh, as usual, we're going to look at some notes from the dystopia, if you will, that we are currently residing in and have survived the worst part of it, I hope. But hey, we got monkeypox. So, I mean, we had COVID, now we got monkeypox. So, things are looking up and what's great about monkeypox is that again it affects mostly men having sex with men or whatever they call it like men who have sex with men and try to make that msm msm is not happening please stop i would appreciate it if you stopped um anyway monkeypox we have another pandemic to be determined in the future (laughs) Uh, so, so we should just see where we're at, right? Like, right? You know, just see where we're at with our our great uh, Puba. That's not his name. Fafauci. Fafauci. I can't even say his name without stuttering. I have to pull a Biden in order to do it. Um, so let's get a Fauci update because he's spoken again, and he spoke with my favorite Yahoo Finance. They had a little interview with him, so nice. And so we're gonna start with the COVID shit because it's kind of old news and now we're going into the next phase, right? Okay, this looks kind of stupid. Let's see if I can get it to play. Listen here. Oh, this is a long one too, Dan. This is gonna be most of my episode is just like playing clips. This is a clips show, probably because I thought I was losing my voice today because I started work again, which was fun. Um, but I have to use my voice a lot at work because I work from home on the computer and on the phone, ostensibly, sort of, through the computer. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> I thought I was losing my voice, so it's probably best that I clip this show. Just give you clips because that's all you really need anyway. You don't need my fucking voice saying this is stupid this is stupid you know what's stupid so let's see what stupid shit the troll has said i will refresh dr anthony fauci announced he is stepping down at the end of the year fauci has been working at the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases since the reagan administration capping off a 38-year career joining us now is yahoo finance senior healthcare reporter anjali kamani who sat down with dr fauci this morning anjali that's right, yeah, Dr. Fauci really uh, you know, had a lot to say about, of course, the ongoing pandemic and all the stuff that we really I'm have sure to he continue did. to pay attention to. And most notably, the fact that living with this virus is something that is truly here to stay. It's That's here to stay, saying. gentlemen and ladies. We are a very big country, uh, a diverse country. Uh, we have 50 states and additional territories. And okay. what had happened right from the very beginning has been a little bit of a discordance in response of different states and different regions of the country to what should have been somewhat of a more unified response in addressing 
how we are going to try and control this outbreak. From the standpoint, if you look at everything from the willingness to abide by public health recommendations, mask wearing, and avoiding congregate indoor settings, to the willingness of people to get vaccinated. It is really unfortunate. <coughs> we as a rich country have the accessibility of as much vaccine as we need and want. And yet we only have 67% Aww. of the population vaccinated and only one half of those have received a booster. If you're dealing with the common enemy of a deadly you? virus that has already killed over one million people in this country. Uh, COVID related is not the same as COVID killing. Uh, also, <laughs> I, I just have to interject to say, oh no, 67%. I know you wanted 70%. You're crying about it. Oh, poor Fauci. You didn't do the job right. Oh no. You didn't release it in time, or you didn't, you released it, you know, at the wrong time, or, you know, it, it could have been better timing with the release of it. It could have been better timing with the health advice that happened in the very beginning, if we recall, like the conflicting health advice we were getting from different agencies and whatnot, and the mask guidance, you know. You know, they just, they kind of fuck things up. And then the vaccine thing, of course. You know, it's really hard to sell the mRNA platform. And you'll see why, because that is mentioned later. So let's, let's enjoy more of this shit show. I would have hoped that there would have been much more of a unified of response course. directing all of our efforts. That helps you. Against what I call the common enemy, the virus. As You're the common enemy. The divisiveness. <laughs> that we've unfortunately experienced in this country, that which created. I believe has hindered Just the like most the virus. effective response to this outbreak. To that point, I remember early on the World Health Organization saying that we're going to be living with this virus at the least until 2024. Where do we start? That's because we have money until 2025, March 2025, from the World Bank. Let's continue. And on those predictions, and are we still waiting for that mother of all immune escaping variants? Immune escaping. Well, I think uh, we're going to be. It's another word for. Uh, well, it's another way to, to blame the variant, for the vaccine not working. The vaccines do not work. Vaccines are supposed to. Get rid of diseases, not give more diseases to people, which is what's happening here. And what will happen most likely with the monkeypox vaccine as well, Genios or whatever they want to use. Quote, living with this virus well beyond 2024, I would hope that as we approach 2024, we will get much, much more of a control over it so that the level of virus oh, that circulates you, in the community I know you hope that. is at such a low level that it does not disrupt what I refer to as the social order. Namely, the social order. The economy or ability to Anything not to say the new world order. Schools and things like that. But we're not going to eradicate the virus no. from the face of the earth. Why We've would you? We've only done that with one virus in history 
one human virus, and that's, that's smallpox. You. Oh, okay. I don't believe we're even going to eliminate it from this country to the tune of getting zero cases. That's like nice. we see often with measles. Why don't you tell China polio, that? They could really uh, because the viruses are fundamentally different. Those viruses reflection. that I referred to are ones in which if you get infected or vaccinated, the durability of protection following either infection Sucks. or vaccination is measured in decades, if not for the lifetime of a person. In addition, those viruses are very stable. Smallpox doesn't change over decades and decades, nor does measles or polio. While we're dealing with a virus that already historically <laughs> this is has total bullshit. <laughs> over the two and a half years that we've been dealing with it, that's total bullshit. That it continues to change with new variants. All viruses change. And so I don't believe we're going to ultimately truly eliminate it. But what I do believe we'll be able to do. If we get more people vaccinated and pay attention Always to the vaccinations, measures, because it's working so well. That we'll be able to get the virus to a low enough level that it doesn't disrupt us. And that may go on for years and years. Fuck off. I'm glad you brought up that point because I, I want to use the vaccines as an example Why don't of you? just how challenging this virus has been because I think people. It's the don't virus. The virus is such a problem. They had a front row seat to the changing of. Uh, science and, and the changing of the data. The changing so, of science. Science changes, we guys. Excited about the don't mRNA don't trust the science until the you have the gave us in terms of protection last against possible infection period. And now with Omicron, we can't even get that guarantee of not being infected, but we do still have Doesn't that guarantee sense. against at the least death and in some cases severe cases. Maybe. So I wonder if you can explain what happened. Why do we have to uh, understand and accept that protection against we infection don't. is no longer the baseline? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One relates to the durability money. of protection um, that wanes over a period of time. The other is that although these vaccines that are systemically administered protect you against significant systemic disease, the most important component of which with COVID is lung disease, pulmonary disease, which is the most important pathogenic process when you deal with COVID. Because the immunity that you get systemically will protect you what against immunity? <laughs> systemic involvement. But Where's the immunity? immunity? To protect you in the upper airway against initial infection. The best way to do that is what we're trying to do with the next generation of vaccines. See, all way, all, on to the next thing. There it is. And we talked Maybe about that. With a nasal mist I don't know if we talked about that. But I, I discussed that at some point. <laughs> that would give you protection right at I the think it was the last episode we talked about this mucosal thing. When we get that, I believe Which the was the next stage. Against infection will be much greater Since the mRNA platform than didn't work. We are currently experiencing. <clears throat> oh, he coughed. Another part of that was this a virus real bullshit move. Was initially just how like he many was organs it attacked and how many taken aback by how uh, much bullshit you know, he spewed. We saw. I wonder when it comes to long COVID and what we're. You got to clear your throat for the bullshit. You know, got to get that bullshit out quickly. 
There we go. Seeing the Brookings Institute just saying that we have two to four million people out of work right now because of long COVID. Economy How should stuff. employers be thinking about that? Is this a mass disability event that we're going to be a mass uh, disability to pay event to for a long time to come? Well, we certainly need to pay attention to long oh, COVID yeah, because sure. it's a real phenomenon. It's we real, guys. We are still learning a lot about it. Uh, such as what the true prevalence of it is and how long yeah because we don't know if it's true if there is true prevalence. Experience. we know that a disturbing percentage of people when they recover from the acute Believe phase you? of COVID-19 even if they don't necessarily have overly severe symptoms they still can be afflicted with long COVID, which is very variable in its manifestations from anything from mild to moderate fatigue upon exercising to, in some cases, exercising. rather significant incapacitation on the part of people. We're studying it intensively in order to do something like, about it. Like, you know, sports? You have to understand what the underlying pathogenic mechanisms are. Guys, it's long and COVID. When you do, and hopefully we ultimately will understand that. It's not myocarditis. Then we could talk about more specific ways to both prevent it. Don't worry it, about it. As well as to treat it when it occurs. Because you did so well the Absolutely. first time. One of the things I want to pivot to is misinformation and disinformation. Something of that course. you have really had lead to us to a, the next so topic before in this pandemic, going into the politic, uh, political divisiveness, but beyond that as well. I wonder, looking to the future and when you do step down, what are some notes you would have for your successor? What are some skills that they're really going to need to have in order to thrive in this environment? Well, they're going to need some skills, but also... They're going to need to go to wefforum.com. What happens on the outside, the degree of pushback against science. The the advice I strongly would give is stick with the science and the evidence and the facts and realize that as you learn more and more, and we are still learning every day, every week, every month. How do you stick to the science if you're learning more and more? And things change. Science changes. How do you stick to the science if it keeps changing? Fuck off. You don't make sense. Adequately communicate. You can't even adequately communicate anything. You're confusing people. Or the things that you are providing for guidelines or what have you that also actually change over time depending upon the evolution the way the wind's blowing scientific data. Right. Right. I wonder with all of that under your belt and all of that reflection, do you think we're ready for the next pandemic? They always have to ask this. Like, it's super well, strange. we thought we were ready for this pandemic. Oh, we thought we were ready for this one, but we weren't. <laughs> organizations that yeah, you were when you made States it. was the best prepared for a pandemic. And yet, when you look Fucking at what fucker. happened to us as a country, we were as severely or more severely hit than many, many other countries. And the deaths per million population in the United States is higher than any country That's not even in the world. true because so we don't know the numbers. We need to do to improve the true numbers that aren't COVID related. But the response, and hopefully you do that by learning lessons from what you have experienced in the past. 
like you did some very painful experience from AIDS and the last two and a half years truly painful experience and something we're not quite sure if we're ready for the next one he wasn't quite confident about that yeah, seriously. Anjali seriously. Kumar, amazing interview there. Wide-ranging and uh, so much depth to really break down. So much here. depth. Guys, g- give her a pat on the back. She's amazing. Insane. Uh, anywho. Moving on from that disinformation conversation, uh, or disinformation and misinformation, they like to put the two together. Um... Then I found, like, well, I found before that this horrible video from the same channel, uh, Yahoo Finance. California approves bill that could punish doctors for spreading false COVID-19 claims. Lovely. So let's hear this bit of uh, dystopian news. It's very short. As short as Fauci. I'm not denigrating his height, sorry. California lawmakers are looking to tackle medical misinformation head on. The state legislature approved a bill that could punish doctors for spreading false claims about COVID-19. Yahoo Finance's Anjali Kamlani uh, here with the details. It's her again. The question here with California is what broader implications are there beyond the state? Well, we know that other states could follow suits. California would be the first. And I want to make sure that we understand that misinformation and disinformation New York are wants to do this separate too. concepts. And that's really important to understand. So misinformation is actually the spread of uh, information that goes against what scientific data tells us. And you can see that definition according to the legislation on your screen there. And then disinformation is really propagated by anyone intentionally trying to spread that misinformation. So they're used interchangeably, you know, often, but they do mean two very specific things. And that's important because this could affect the medical licenses of these health individuals if they are- Kind of like immunization and vaccination caught spreading that misinformation being proponents of that disinformation and that's where the law really comes down on health officials right now you've seen of course like twitter discourse and other social media discourse where these health officials or experts you know are able to freely tout their opinion or speak about what the information they feel uh, is the best we know that was the best example of that is the hydroxychloroquine debate right we saw so much literally a circus around that and so this really would help put an end to that, especially if we're going into an uh, an era of more focus on uh, you know public health uh, outbreaks and messaging uh, and, and the potential damage that comes from that. Just underscoring the amount of noise that's out there. You have to find it. Sanjali Kamani. Thanks so much. Amount of noise. Yeah. So they're not going to hold the CDC accountable for this, for the spread of disinformation and misinformation. Whichever you like, that the vaccine is going to stop transmission of COVID-19. They're not going to hold them accountable for that. They'll hold you accountable because you are more accountable than the public health agencies with power. That's where we live. Sad to say. That is the way it is. Now, I had another link. I had a link because... You, you might have heard this. Get this. So the U.S. Open is happening. And 
This one's not brought to you by Pfizer. Not this time. No, it's Moderna. Oh my gosh, the first thing that comes up when I look up Moderna US Open is Snopes Stockholm. <laughs> Even on fucking Brave. Amazing. I love that. Okay, we got ad age from a week ago. Let's see here. Oh, what a shit show. Oh, I have the thing. I have the thing. Never mind. This is it. This is it. Anyway, we'll look at this real quick. Uh-oh. I have no idea where I went. Where did I go? I don't know where my tabs are on this tablet. Oh, damn. Oh, damn. Now I've bookmarked something. Technology! Oh, shit. Okay. Dang it. Ad age from one week ago. Before the US Open. So this says, this is like an introduction to the topic. Moderna's U new US Open sponsorship extends marketing push beyond COVID, COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. The biotech firm will use Billie Jean King to promote itself as a disruptor in the science of mRNA technology. This is pretty much the same article but it's a different website. Um, by E.J. Schultz, published on August 23rd, 2002. 22, sorry. And this says I can't read it anymore, but it basically says the same thing as this other website. Um, I guess I'll try and get it up on my phone since I went to the trouble of finding it. Hold on. I'll say Moderna. U.S. Open. Uh, add age. That should bring me right there. Okay. So let me go ahead and read it in reader mode. That's alright. I don't need your paywall. Oh. Oh. Maybe. No. That was a real dick about it. I don't... Okay, here we go. It's not... Okay. <laughs> Moderna is upping its marketing game with a new U.S. Open sponsorship as the biotech company seeks to raise awareness about the mRNA science that powers its COVID vaccine. The goal of the sponsorship and a new broader marketing push is to educate people about how the company is using mRNA for other potential medical breakthroughs that could be used to treat people with cancer, metabolic diseases, and other afflictions. Although Moderna has done other sports deals, including sponsoring a shot of the game promotion with the NBA and NHL to promote COVID booster shots, amazing, the U.S. Open Pact marks its most extensive sponsorship to date, according to Moderna Chief Brand Officer Kate Cronin. She declined to disclose financial terms, but said the deal was signed for one year. Damn. We want to establish Moderna as a modern leader, changing medicine and pioneering RMNA, RMNA, mRNA, she said. And while that means moving the conversation beyond COVID, she said the timing of the U.S. Open right before the fall season when many people will be getting a COVID booster vaccine marked the first time, sorry, the right time to push the broader message. The sponsorship comes as Moderna 
leverages a new endorsement from Billie Jean King. I watched that video on uh, the last episode of Fearlessly Authentic, so you should check that out. Um, a new video starring the tennis great pays tribute to change makers. Yeah, I watched that shit. While referencing her pioneering feats, including changing the way women get paid, the approach ties into Moderna's tagline, this changes everything. <laughs> oh, boy does it, but not in the way you think. The video will run as an ad during ESPN's coverage of the U.S. Open. It was put together by TBWA, Moderna's lead agency. We want to align ourselves with disruptors and change makers because that is what we are. Moderna is not a pharma company. We are a health technology platform company, said Cronin, who joined Moderna last year, gave her soul over then, after serving as global CEO of WPP owned Ogilvy Health, or maybe she didn't have one in the first place. We have mRNA technology that we believe will solve for many different diseases beyond COVID. It doesn't even solve this one. It's amazing the fucking level of confidence for something that doesn't work. It's astounding to me. The astounding bravado and ego attached to something that does not work does not do what it's supposed to do. I'm flabbergasted. Moving on, her marketing approach is to use what she calls edutainment, educating while educating people while you entertain them, or propaganda, better known as. At the US Open, Moderna will have a booth where people can sign the lens, which is meant to mimic a tennis tournament tradition of players signing their names on TV camera lenses after winning a match. At the booths, Moderna will collect contact information, no, that's not creepy, to build its community of followers whom it plans to regularly survey about health matters, that sounds fun, and really start creating a relationship, whether they like it or not, Cronin said. Not with that part, I added that. Because for our brand to be successful, we have to really remain what I call relentlessly relevant, she added. COVID won't always be top of mind, and we are not a COVID company. We just profit off of it. We are so much more than that. The company uses simple language to communicate the potential of mRNA. Social media videos use strand imagery in a visual depiction of how mRNA works to to, to direct viewers to a website called aboutmrna.com that provides information about the science and how Moderna is using it. The phrase, which stands for messenger RNA, refers to the process by which molecules transmit genetic information to make proteins. Moderna's website touts its mRNA expertise, including how its platform with its speed, scale, and flexibility is uniquely suited to tackle current and emerging pathogens that threaten global health. Except this one, because it didn't work. But don't worry about it. It's still fine. Everything is fine. So when we get past that one, that little bit of propaganda, there's another piece of propaganda that I found about the same sub subject. Let's see how different it is from that. Okie dokie. So that would be from fiercepharma.com, which 
has all the latest news on what's going on with Big Pharma. This one's a day later, so this one's from Ben Adams. He wrote this August 24, 2022, at 9.25 a.m. And it's... it's uh, its title is Moderna hoping to save an servant ace with its new booster taps Billie Jean King for its op US Open campaign and then it says as Moderna is gearing up to run a new COVID booster campaign this year in the US like an ad campaign like it's all advertising you notice that like this isn't helping people this is promoting shit to people all right people it has scored tennis legend Billie Jean King as part of its U.S. Open sponsorship. Biotech is, the biotech is specifically looking to boost awareness of mRNA technology in general with no specific promotional branding, branded marketing detach, attached. But the campaign does note Moderna's work on COVID vaccines and in other areas such as how mRNA may help with cancer. It also comes just weeks before the FDA is expected to allow new boosters specific to the Omicron variant to be rolled out in the U.S. So that's funny about cancer. Like it, it probably just would keep you from dying from cancer. Maybe. Maybe. If you're lucky. I would guess is the, the way that would go. Tagging King in its tweet about the campaign this week, Moderna's official corporate account said at Billie Jean King changed tennis and paved the way for athletes by creating a new standard of equity in sports. We believe that challenging convention is critical to changing the world and we are proud to partner with at Billie Jean King as we kick off our engagement at the U.S. Open. King became the first president of the Women's Tennis Association back in 1974 and headed up the first professional women's tour, the Virginia Slims. Moderna has also created a changemakers hashtag, of course it has, that runs with an accompanying 30-second video. The video is what I was talking about before. I, re I watched it and commented on it. It then quickly flips... Okay, they're describing the video, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is a clear message about Moderna itself, which identifies as a changemaker by being one of the first companies in the world to use mRNA technology in vaccines. Moderna's one of... Uh, Moderna's campaign comes weeks after the U.S. Tennis Association signed a one-year sponsorship deal with the mRNA Biotech for this year's U.S. Open Tennis Championships, so this was already in, in the works, which kicks off Friday, August 29th, so this was yesterday that has kicked off. Moderna with, will also get signage space, signage space, 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 signage space, why is that hard to say? at Arthur Ashe Stadium and aims to spread the message about its mRNA work. Moderna just this week finished its submission to the FDA for a new emergency use authorization, because we're just handing those out now, for its tweaked COVID-19 vaccine, sorry, COVID vaccine, they keep saying it that instead of the other thing, mRNA 1273.222. Unlike its original COVID vaccine, which was authorized in late 2020, the new shot Target subvariants of the dominant, spell wrong, um, dominate, dominant. I'm available, fierce farmer. Never mind. Never mind. I'm good. Uh, Omicron variant, namely BA4 and BA5. But what if there's a six? <laughs> Don't ask. 
There is no official timeline. Why would there be? For when the FDA is expected to finish off its review for the vaccine, no hurry. But Peter Marks, MD, PhD, the top vaccine regulator for the FDA, told the New York Times this week that his team was close to authorizing updated doses, such as Moderna's and from its rival, Pfizer, which is also seeking authorization for an Omicron-specific booster, because there's no originality. The use of mRNA as a new technology, which was still relatively in its infancy in early 2020, has not yet bec- has not been welcomed by all. Misinformation, what, and fears over mRNA use in vaccines causes some people to put off getting vaccinated. I don't know why they would do that. As the booster campaign will likely kick off in the coming weeks or months, Moderna knows that the biggest issue will be a g- general reluctance to get the booster rather than its capacity to produce it. The U.S. Open sponsorship should help here and will also go some way to boost its own credentials outside of just COVID vaccines, given that its mRNA tech has the potential for use in a range of infectious disease and potentially in oncology and other diseases as well. But I thought that was what the moonshot was for. Mm -hmm. I'm confusion. I thought Joe Biden was going to fix cancer. Guys, why? I thought that was going to happen. I'm sad. Anyway, moving on. I also have a little bit of an uh, um, a relative story, <laughs> a related story, but unrelated. If you don't believe in conspiracy theories, then it's unrelated. But. To most people with eyes and ears, I feel like (laughs) it's related. So let's go to, all right, Reuters, five days ago, cut to five days ago, which is Novak Djokovic, the former one, announced on Thursday that he will not compete at this year's U.S. Open. Djokovic up till now has refused to get vaccinated against COVID-19, making it impossible for him to enter the United States, where travelers are still required to show proof of vaccination. In a post on Twitter, he wrote, quote, Sadly, I will not be able to travel to NY this time for U.S. Open. Good luck to my fellow players. I'll keep in good shape and positive spirit and wait for an opportunity to compete again. The Serbian previously said he was prepared to miss Grand Slam tournaments, that required participating players to be vaccinated against COVID. Is it good to be home? His position led to the 35-year-old being unable to defend his Australian Open crown earlier in the year. Oh, yeah, we know the whole, that whole thing. You can't probably hear it that badly, but I have my tornado on, my air circulator fan thing. It's not at the highest level because I'm recording in the evening after 7. No, it was like 6.50 when I started or something like that. But, and you'll probably hear the fucking door because people keep coming in and out from the fucking building and shit. But anyway, the tornado is on barely and I must endure the uncomfortableness that comes from having a hot day, but not as hot as the next day. My gosh, it's going to be hotter tomorrow. And then the next day, oh no, 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 no. And like 100 degrees in a couple of days. This is all relevant. I'm getting to something. Um, the, we have not had hot weather like this 
all month of August. We have not seen above 93 or 4 degrees all August. But suddenly in September, it's like, fuck, let's go out with a bang. Summer. And, you know, it's just summer. It's nothing else untoward happening here. So that leads me to this article, which is not really the point, like the article, you know, but like the fact that it's happening, that we're experiencing this. There's a lot of like stuff that I'm reading about the temperatures and like how it's going to cause fires to happen, maybe more danger of fires and stuff. And I'm like, hmm, okay, which might be kind of on purpose, but <laughs> let's move along. Anyway, it says here in LA Times, linked below, heat wave forecast to hit Southern California just in time for Labor Day weekend. August 28, 2022, updated 1.54 p.m. staff writer, Laura Newberry. And it says temperatures are expected to hit triple digits in some areas of Southern California this week as a heat wave envelops the region just in time for L Labor Day weekend. And temperatures are forecast to be an, ex an oppressive 10 to 15 degrees above average starting Wednesday. Isn't that funny how it's like one day it's this degree, and then the next day it's like 7 degrees higher, and then it gets to like 15 degrees higher, like not 15, 10 degrees higher, whatever. Like that's so weird to me. It just happens. Above average starting Wednesday and lasting through September 5th. So just the beginning of September, and then we'll have a little bit of a drop-off. According to Mike Walford, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Oxnard, the mercury is expected to hit the mid-90s in downtown L.A. and range from 100 to 110 degrees in the San Fernando and El Antelope Valleys during this period. Thank goodness I do not live in the valley. This is why I don't live, I've told you before, but I do not live in the valley for a fucking reason. And that is one of them. Well, there are multiple reasons. That is one of them. This is our hottest time of year, Wofford said. When we get big heat waves, this is very typically when we would see them. I disagree. I don't, I don't, I don't agree. Maybe if we had these kind of temperatures early on in August, I would agree, but I don't necessarily agree with that uh, for this year. Sunday was a cooler than normal August day in Southland with in the Southland with with temperatures ranging in the mid to high 70s. See what I'm saying? Like, and it's going to go up 20 something degrees. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. But the brief reprieve from the heat is likely to be broken by a strong high pressure system moving into the southwest early this week. We also have a much weaker onshore flow, which normally brings us a cool sea breeze, he said. He's like, don't worry, we got, we got a sea breeze. Well, I don't live near the beach, bitch. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. I have a show on Sunday, which is like the height of all of this. And I'm going to like be like right in front of my tornado. And I'm just going to be like, sorry, but that's how it's got to be. It says on my stupid phone, which may or may not be true because it's an iPhone, 91 degrees tomorrow, 95 degrees on Thursday. Remember, it was like 88 degrees high today. Just consider. Um, 
91 degrees Friday, and then a 99 degrees on Saturday, and they keep changing it around. It was like 104 the next day, and now it's like 100, so I guess that's good. 100, 100, 100, 95, and then 88 by Thursday. That totally makes sense. I understand the weather, it's fine. The comment section is like, oh my gosh, summer. Yeah, I know, yeah, that's the point, but still. Anyway, moving on from that topic, like, I, I don't know what's going on with the weather. It's weird. It's unusual what's happened with it, in my opinion, whether or not I'm right. <laughs> I don't know, but I feel right, so it's whatever. That's how that works. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, I cannot move this page to save my life. Okay, moved it, all right. Page is moved. I've opened something else, but I can't click on it yet, so I'll just have to let it continue to do what it's doing and move on. So, let's see here. The next thing I wanna talk about is local as well. Let's get the local shit out of the way and then we'll get to Biden and his latest wonder wonderful speech. Just beautiful speech writing and saying of words. Just kidding, it's a joke. Okay. Let's see. I guess we'll start here. So, another thing that's happened in California is there was an eviction moratorium for a long time during COVID, the pandemic. And they made it so that people were very upset at one another, which is great for them. Um, very, a lot of like, division between people um, both sides like of the issue one being like oh my gosh like what about the land owners and the landlords and stuff and then the other people were like fuck the landlords I don't want to pay my rent you know and then it would just be extremes going back and forth whatever so anyway this is kind of about that so I found this from Newsbreak which is an app that I have that I don't have to give data to which is nice um, on my phone and I get some stories, local stories from paywall sites like LA Times, and this is one of them. And it's by Summer Lynn from two days ago. More California cities enact rent control to protect tenants, upsetting apartment owners. That means, you know, landlords and shit. <laughs> but yeah, this was a story article, so I'm not gonna get too involved because I'm not really into that. But it says at the end, or not at the end, but it says here about the rent control. It says rent control has long been a tool to protect people from being priced out of their homes. But with California's rents rising, and this is every day they're like worried about rent control, about rent in general, and like this, that, and the other. It's like tenants, tenants, tenants every day. They're talking about it in the market and everything real estate market and it's just like damn just calm down for a second <laughs> and then today they were like oh my gosh there's too much too high of rent in this place and stuff so just a whole lot of fear porn when it comes to this I will say that I full disclosure do have rent control and if I did not I probably would not be able to live here <laughs> because while it's an, an, a massive amount of money overall luckily I have a roommate to split it not even split it but like he has a they have a room um I don't I don't need privacy because I don't have sex you know that yeah 
not even with myself, so. But I still try to have as much privacy as possible by not showing what I'm watching and stuff <laughs> when he enters the room. Anyway, he'll hear this and he'll be like, yeah, that, that's true. So anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, my apartment, okay, I'll full disclosure, fine. Uh, it's like 11.95 when I first moved in and I moved in with a roommate. And it's a one bedroom. And there's a plane, but let's ignore it. Uh, that was in 2013. It's been two weeks since, no. It's been uh, almost 10 years. In January, it'll be 10 years. So in that amount of time, it's gone up to 1464 and change because there's a rent stabilization fee that you have to pay every month. Which is ironic, right? Because it's not that ironic. I mean, they make you pay it. They make the tenant pay it when it's due from the landlord. But they put it, the onus on the tenant to pay it. They put put it on you. Um, because you should be grateful, right? That you don't get 10% increases or what have you. And so then, um, so we have that. And then we also have a... 95 cents from the website that I have to pay to do it in a, an expedient manner. If I wanted to do it, I could do it. I could just write them a check and be like, fuck you, and like send it in the mail, and it, they'll get it when they get it. But I don't do that. That's how I do things. So now you know how much rent I pay. But I don't pay all of that. So anyway. Rent control has long been a tool to protect people from being priced out of their homes. I agree with that. But with California's rents rising amid a hot real estate market, more cities are turning to the protections. This has won praise from tenant groups and opposition from apartment owners associations or associations, organizations, which have been critical of the Bell Gardens plan, which was mentioned before, which is where this is located, um, the city in question. Last week, um, the Antioch City Council passed a similar rent control ordinance that caps annual rent increases in the Bay Area City at 60% of the CPI or 3%, which is, whichever is less. On August 1st, Pomona's City Council sent, set a rent cap at 4% or the change in CPI. What is CPI? Let's find out. California, something or other. Uh, I don't know, something California related, I guess. Anyway, Santa Ana adopted a rent control ordinance in November limiting increases to 3% per year or 80% of the change in the CPI. The city of Oxnard capped rent increases at 4% per year in April. And in November, Pasadena residents will vote on their own rent control measure. Some California landlords were allowed to bump their rent starting August 1st, yes, by as much as 10%, the maximum annual increase under Assembly Bill 1482, a statewide law passed three years ago. But the 10% cap applies only to complexes built before 2007 and those not subjected to rent control restrictions, meaning that other landlords can raise their rents even higher. 
by the way, mine is from like 1962. It's a pretty old building. Cities and counties across California have also passed local ordinances protecting against no-fault evictions. AB 1482 protects tenants who have lived in their apartments for at least a year. Bell Gardens City Manager Michael O'Kelly says the city's ordinance needs a final vote scheduled for September 12th. If approved, it would take effect 30 days later. Rent, rents in Bell Gardens and throughout LA County continue to rise, and although the city has lower rents relative to surrounding communities, many local residents, particularly low-income res households, struggle with paying for rising housing costs and meeting other basic needs such as food, transportation, and health care, he said. Lupe Ariola. Executive Director for Tenants Together, a statewide renter advocacy group, said that according to the latest U.S. Census data, about 44% of California renters are spending more than a third of their income on rent. She also noted about 75% of single mothers and 64% of single fathers are renters. Eh, you know, it's people saying shit. When you have a single parent raising an entire family on one income, any incre increase in expenses could be destabilizing and also could mean the difference between the wealth being in the family or it could mean eviction. She said increasing rents are not keeping up with wages, which could lead to evictions and irreparable harm. It's not just an economic issue, but it's definitely one that has to do with equity and community safety and health and makes it so that children are at the center of the decisions our community, community makes. And then there's more, you know, surveys and shit. And then it says, Susie Herrera, Communications Director for California Latinas for Reproductive Justice, one of the groups fighting for rent control in Bell Gardens, says, even pre-COVID and pre-inflation, people were having trouble paying their rent. People were definitely working multiple jobs, and COVID really exacerbated that, which was the whole point, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> she said through the groups organizing efforts she's heard from people who hope rent control will be implemented in their cities not everyone is in favor of the control measures obviously executive director of the apartment association of greater los, los angeles uh, daniel yukelson opposes all forms of rent control and said that bill bell gardens ordinance went well beyond anything even close to fair and balanced on the heels of moratoriums on evictions see that's how they got you and challenged rent collections over the past two plus years, and now unprecedented inflationary pressures, property owners will never be able to keep up and will leave the business, he says. They are like, less likely to give up their below market rental unit to purchase property of their own, to take a better op job opportunity out of the area, and they often stay in place long after the usefulness of their rental unit has ended. And then it talks about World War II and how this all came about. And then they said Santa Monica, for example, was one of the first California cities to adopt rent control in 1979. But Santa Monica Rent Control Board member Anastasia Foster said laws again across the state have been hampered by the 1995 Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act. It bars rent control on condos, single-family homes, and buildings constructed after 1995, and prohibits vacancy control, allowing landlords to raise the rent to any price for a new tenant after the previous one has moved out, which is what they're going to do with me, for sure, even with this. You know, they have on the building outside, 
It's like 2095 for a one bedroom, I think, is what it said. Like, it's definitely more than 2000 which is more than I pay because of this. So these people who move in are getting kind of fucked, you know? Anyway, Foster pushed back on the notion that landlords won't see enough return on their investments because of rent control laws, even if there's a pinched year or moment in time for the entire comedy, economy, econ- whatever the word is, economy, you know, the thing, which includes landlords. The effect felt is not the same. There are tenants who have to make decisions between making for paying for groceries or for medication. I don't think buildings worth millions of dollars are the same level of risk as our tenants. Okay, and to that, I would also say, like, medications or food, like, something, I won't say everything is, like, related or whatever, but a lot of the food that we eat makes us sick. So, there's things that can be done individually that will help you stay healthy enough that you might not need as much medication. Just putting that out there for anyone who needs to hear that wants to hear that and then it says you know about the nationwide eviction ban blah 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 basically they they come to the end and they say this has changed the city of bell gardens its history and none of these years that i lived here was anything ever done for us tenants until we picked up our voices and united we accomplished this big victory curiel who was um, integral in getting this legislation pass legislation ordinance sorry um so yeah back to the ordinance here she's like profiled in the beginning um hmm. it says it would limit annual rent increases to 50 percent of the local consumer price index that's what the cpi was capping the hike at four percent even if the inflation rate is higher okay so that's what happened there. Okay, so we go from there to like, <sighs> there's more news on the homelessness situation, which there still is <laughs> in LA. So the LA Council approves more money for project room key phase out. So they're phasing out their lauded, much lauded uh, hotel for homeless people kind of initiative where they would put all of these people in a hotel and be like, okay, you're on your own. I don't know if it's like you're on your own or whatever, but like they give them certain things to help them transition to being, having a home, having an apartment or what have you. It's not even an apartment, you know, a hotel room or whatever. (laughs) Um, And then now they're talking about how they're going to get rid of all that. So here's the uh, legislation there. Um, This is from Hey SoCal. Hey SoCal. City News Service Incorporated from Newsbreak. Uh, They just come come up a lot on newsbreak.com. Okay. The LA City Council authorized $2.9 million. Oh, this is from three days ago. Okay. In additional funding Friday for the demobilization of Project Room Key, a housing program created during the coronavirus pandemic that is winding down. Because everything's fine now. Everybody's got a home, they're all happy and thriving. Sure. 
The council also voted to temporarily extend the program at its three remaining sites, the Highland Gardens in Hollywood, Airtel Plaza Hotel in Van Nuys, and the LA Grand Hotel in downtown LA. The Airtel Plaza and Highland Garden sites will shutter on October 31st, Halloween, and the Grand Hotel site will close at the end of January. The council previously authorized $2.5 million to provide housing navigation program, sorry, services to program participants. As of last week, 725 people remained in the program. On Thursday, housing officials provided the council's Homeless and Poverty Committee, because that exists, with a report on helping those remaining residents find permanent housing elsewhere including the use of demobilization tracking tool and housing fairs. The committee chose not to approve an additional $3.1 million requested by the LA Homeless Services Authority to support the navigation and placement of residents exiting the program. This is the ultimate challenge of the homeless system, Molly Reisman, acting co-executive producer of LASA, told the committee. Even though it sounds like a lot of money, it's an incredible amount of scarcity given the sheer numbers that we're trying to serve. Reisman added, added that while the extension of Project Roomkey has allowed Lhasa to serve more people, it has also widened the need for permanent housing resources because people enter the sites without connections to vouchers or permanent housing programs. They need that assistance of a rental subsidy of some sort and they need to find a, a unit, she said, and those are both big challenges. As of July, 323 residents had been matched or are in the process of receiving an emergency housing voucher, but more than 200 had not yet received a voucher or been entered into a housing program. Doug Guthrie, president and CEO of the Housing Authority of the City of LA, told the committee earlier this month that it's been taking between 45 and 60 days for a voucher to be approved once a recipient finds a matching residence, which is longer than the 30 days that most landlords would typically hold spaces. He noted that LA is seeing unprecedented demand for housing and people relying on vouchers face a particularly uphill climb. Project Roomkey was established during the pandemic to provide temporary keyword temporary emergency housing. It was funded by both the city and the county, but the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency provided full reimbursements through July. There were 37 hotels and motels contracted through the program at its height, with 4,000 rooms available. The program provided shelter for more than 10,200 people experiencing homelessness over the last two years. That's a drop in the bucket. Just so you know, that's a drop in the fucking bucket. We have millions of people in this city alone, like millions, and that's a drop in the bucket. Residents received meals, medical screenings, and security services. More than 4,100 Project Room Key participants found permanent housing as of March, according to LASA. 4,100 out of 10,200. I'd call that a success, wouldn't you? Anyway, so that's what's happening there. And then we have Gavin Newsom out there saying how successful this initiative was and he's going to support homeless initiatives and everything again and all that shit. But anyways, then we have 
moving on, we're gonna go to the Fast and Furious because I don't know how to segue, it's whatever. How do you go from homeless people not getting the help that they need to residents being very upset about street racing in LA and filming street races by Fast and Furious 10. I don't know how you go there, but here we're going. Filming of Fast and Furious draws neighborhood protest, Associated Press, and then we'll go to a video. Oh, this is very short. You'll be happy. Uh, residents and supporters protested Friday against the filming of a new Fast and Furious movie in an L.A. neighborhood where locations that appeared in past installments of the action franchise have drawn illegal racing and street takeovers to the area. About 20 protesters with photos of street racing victims marched near the movie filming site in Angelino Heights, ch chanting street racing kills, race on a track, film and studio. So that's about all I have there. So let's go to the video, shall we? Do I have, there it is. All right, so this is from Fox 11 LA. Yeah, if you look over my shoulder, right over that way. And you can find everything in the, in, the, uh, in the show notes. You can find all of the links that I put in here. Enjoy. Going on since this morning, but here in Angelo, Angelino Heights is not the only thing happening. It's also been a day of protesting. Street racing kills! Race on track! Film in a studio! Ted Yenowin is just feet away from where crews are filming the new Fast and Furious 10. The stunt cars and crews are lined up along Kensington Road, while the protesters march outside of the film site. The demonstrators are people from this neighborhood and from anti-street racing organizations contacted to help the residents here where some of the Fast and Furious films have been shot. Let's go for a little ride. Some here recognize that movie making is important to the local economy, but to Ted Yenowin, who lost a neighbor to street racing, the cultural impact of this is totally toxic. The screeching loud sound that awakens you in terror. But also, the popping of their lack of having a muffler? Bea Favela is beyond fed up. I mean, come on, guys. It doesn't take a smart person to figure out that if you lose control, you're going to hit somebody or something. This was your daughter. My daughter, Valentina. This is the last picture you ever took with her. Yes, the last picture we took together. Lily Trujillo Puckett's daughter was killed when the driver of a car she was in decided to speed race. She started a nonprofit called Speed Racing Kills. She came here to support the Angelino Heights residents who, among other things, want their street re-engineered so that the dangerous driving can stop and the people here can sleep. Puckett believes re-engineering could help. The poor people that live here have to live with all the noise every night. And every day, they have to look at this. We've tried reaching out to Universal Studios. So far, we have still not gotten a response. In Angelino Heights, I'm Hal Eisner, Fox 11 News. That dude has been in it for a while. Anyway, a funny thing about this is, like, what better way, in a way, you know, like, you got to look at it and you got to wonder, like, I didn't even know that there was a Fast and Furious 10 filming until this incident happened that I was aware of, made aware of, like, weeks ago from Newsbreak or whatever, saying, like, oh, people were upset or whatever. I was like, hmm, 
that's a good form of promotion. I mean, any publicity is good publicity, you know what I'm saying? I totally forgot to do this fucking article, by the way. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, but LA, you know, another LA Council uh, win here. Um, this is back to the, we're going to circle back to the homeless initiative thing. Um, and say that this is an article from Newsbreak again, Hey SoCal, and this is from three days ago from City News Service. That's who's always named as the uh, article author or whatever. Oh shit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop it. That was a mistake. <laughs> I knew as soon as I did that that I was going to regret that. Anyway, that's coming up soon. <laughs> that's a little preview. But um, anyway, LA Council seeks affordable housing incentives, gosh, she's tired, in affluent areas, which is not going to piss anyone off, you know. In an effort to create more affordable housing in higher resource neighborhoods, the LA City Council called Friday for preparation of an ordinance that would incentivize affordable housing projects in such areas. Only 14% of the affordable housing units permitted in the last decade in LA were located within high resource neighborhoods, rich, they mean rich, while 86% were in neighborhoods deemed low resource and high poverty. I want to make sure that balance, that balance looks a little better in LA going forward, said Nitya Raman, who I voted for and immediately regretted doing so because she went ahead with um, going along with the vaccine mandate that we had to suffer through for a very good long time. So fuck you, Nitra, whatever the fuck your name is. I don't even care anymore. Nitya, Nitya Ramon. Uh, she introduced the initial motion in August 2021 along with councilwoman, councilwoman, sorry, councilman, Marquise Harris Dawson. The council voted 12 to 0 Friday to direct the Department of City Planning to prepare an ordinance that would expand incentives for projects located on land already zoned for multifamily housing with a focus on commercial zones, transit areas, and corridors. The city would also incentivize projects on publicly owned land parking zones and land owned by faith-based institutions. The incentives could include ministerial approval for such projects, meaning the permitting process would be streamlined and the project given approval as long as it meets certain objective standards. The council also instructed the department to report back on recommendations for a local incentive program increasing the number of affordable units for projects in higher resource neighborhoods. About 76% of LA's highest resource neighborhoods, sorry, highest resource areas are zoned for single-family homes, while only 18% of the high segregation and poverty areas and zoned for, are zoned for single-family fa homes, city planning officials said last year. This motherfucker, I do not like him either. Councilman Mike Bonin, who said affordable housing is difficult to build in his West Side district, urged planning officials to come back with something that is as strong as possible that makes it mandatory to do it. The council called for op options to create an affordable housing overlay zone that Rahman said would ensure 
affordable housing projects in higher resource areas are economically feasible for developers as it costs more to build housing in wealthier neighborhoods. The zoning would allow more affordable housing to be built near public parks, transit schools, grocery stores, and health facilities. According to UC Berkeley's Other and Belonging Institute, what the fuck is that? LA was the sixth most segregated metro region. They just gotta throw that in, don't they? <laughs> With population more than 200,000 200, as of 2019. Anyway, we can any way we can enhance a policy which encourages affordable housing and incentives it across incentives it incentivizes whatever that's fine it's just a quote that he fucked up fine unless he said that then he's he's an idiot if he said that okay all right mitchell farrell you're a dumbass anyway it across city equitably equitably is a good thing. Not any one, two, three, or four council districts should shoulder the entire burden of the production of affordable housing. It should be citywide. That's more fair and equitable. Uh, that's one of the council people. Mitch O'Farrell. Another shit one. They're all shit. They all suck so much. But people aren't very happy about that. And that's going to cause even more division. Yay. Good for everybody. Glad we have that going on. I guess I did have this other article, but I wanted to... How do we segue to that? Oh wait, I have that. I don't have that in here. I was supposed to have this in here, but I think I got rid of it at some point. You don't know what I'm talking about, but anyways. <laughs> I'm gonna get a thing. <laughs> you know, a thing. Well first, I'm gonna say, this is a stat news article. I'm just gonna read little bits of it. We don't have time for all that. But it's called Will Low Dose Vaccination Stretch the Monkeypox Vaccine Supply or Backfire? Yeah, we're on monkeypox now. The new AIDS uh, at the moment. This is from an opinion article, so we're going to read the facts because that's what we deal with. By Philip Krause and Luciana El Borio, August 9, 2022. So I, I read this and it was interesting. Okay, so they say here. The most important thing in here that I wanted to, to focus on is vaccines by themselves won't solve the monkeypox outbreak. Concern over stigma associated with monkeypox has made it a bit more difficult to target messaging. Da da da, that's not the point. I'm trying to say something else. But it definitely won't because it doesn't stop monkeypox. Da da da. There, da, 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 see, I guess I could read this part. Yeah, I think this is what I read. Okay, these anti okay, the largest study to support the proposed strategy of intradermal immunization that they're doing involved a total of about 150 people who received both, both doses. About 20% of first dose recipients didn't get their second doses, likely related to high local reaction rates after the first dose. Study participants were evaluated for antibody responses to the vaccine strain virus, vaccinia, that are expected to track monkeypox antibody responses. Antibody levels were similar between 
recipients of the low-dose intradermal vaccine and those who receive the normally delivered full-dose vaccine, although the criteria for the comparisons were less rigorous than the FDA normally uses for this type of comparison. These antibody responses on their own, however, don't predict protection against monkeypox. In other studies, two doses of the Genios, the one that's getting the most attention now, vaccine induced antibody titers in humans similar to one dose of the ACAM2000 vaccine, which is based on the vaccine that was used to eradicate smallpox. But the ACAM2000 vaccine proved much more protective against monkeypox challenge in vaccinated animals. What the fuck? There's also an uncertain relationship between those doses, the doses given in the study and that of the current vaccine, which can vary over an eightfold range. So using a 20% dose of vaccine for intradermal inoculation could either substantially underdose recipients with a risk of lower effectiveness or overdose them with the potential for more side effects. Nice. Relative to the vaccine given in the study of intradermal administration. The study also reported Lower long-term immune responses in those who received the lower-dose intradermal vaccine, raising concerns about the overall immune response to the intradermal lower-dose vaccine. Switching to intradermal administration is also complicated. Vaccines are not typically given intradermally in the U.S., and there is a little margin for error. Mistakes could cause a lower dose of the vaccine to be delivered deeper than intended, with likely lower effectiveness. That's why the worldwide vaccination campaign that led to the eradication of smallpox used a special needle called a bifurcated needle to provide consistent dosing and why developers are exploring more reliable methods than needles and syringes for other vaccines that could be administered intradermally. Okay, and then people who administer the vaccine intradermally would, would need special training and even then they make, may make mistakes. The FDA normally regulates vaccines paired with unusual delivery devices as combination products which involve an extra set of assurances that the correct dose will be delivered to the right part of the body, assurances that likely would not be present in this case. And so it says, oh, okay, there's more to it. (laughs) Monkeypox isn't going away, so the U.S. government needs to urgently evaluate alternative strategies to augment the supply of monkeypox vaccines and deploy it effectively. In addition, more information is needed about antiviral drugs that might treat monkeypox, including antibody-based treatments such as vaccinia immune globulin. The U.S. needs a concerted effort to make sure enough vaccines and therapies are available to address these needs and to reduce suffering. A hasty decision to try an unproven and risky strategy to stretch the existing vaccine supply may interfere with developing a national plan to quell this outbreak. But anyway, the thing is, you know, the vaccine doesn't prevent monkeypox. It it doesn't prevent monkeypox. So it's like, that's the new normal, I guess. It's where we live. But anyway, they said the FDA may soon issue an emergency use authorization for Genios to be administered in this way. So that's a little bit about that.
So let's see here. I was going to look that up. So going to Yahoo. I don't have the other thing up here either. I thought I had this, but I don't. I don't remember deleting this, but okay. They do not want me to cover this. Okay. There was a White House briefing today that you may have missed. So I'll brief you on it about monkeypox. Prevention resource. Not yet. So we're going to go to a little bit of it. We're not going to watch all of it because I do not have time for that. And neither do you. But you can if you want at your leisure when I give you the link. And then we're going to end on Biden and this wonderful speech that is not at all creepy that he did today. Okay. Alright, here's the White House briefing. I was going to focus on this one area of it, and that is 1850. So let's go to 1850 of this video, where they're talking about the, the, the stuff. CDC um, operates a system called VAERS, or the Vax Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and we're actively looking at um, you know, different types of events that might be reported post-vaccination. Um, and we are actively gathering information from the different jurisdictions and states and cities uh, about which vaccines they're administering, whether it's subcutaneous or intradermal. And we're gathering those data now as we speak. If you look on the CDC website, you're going to start to see a lot of information about vaccine administration. Right now, we have um, some states on board and we're actively onboarding the rest. So I think that will be up to um, full state reporting in about a week, but you can start to get information now if you go on the CDC website um, and look. With respect to um, the vaccines that are being given out at some of these large venues, I think those systems are going to be in place for people who get vaccinated, whether it's through a special venue or through a normal uh, jurisdictional um, clinic. So I, I think those same systems will be capturing data. Thank you. Kevin, we'll take another question. Let's go to Chris Wiggins at The Advocate. Hi, thank you for taking my question. There are two questions. There's a report from the Houston area of a patient with confirmed monkeypox infection who has died. Do you have any information about that case to share? I know that somebody has died in the U.S. Does that change the messaging to the public at all? And then looking beyond Southern decadence, people who attended the events in Charlotte the weekend before last reported not seeing many signs indicating where monkeypox vaccines would be available and those who did find information had to walk to satellite locations a distance away from the events making it inconvenient uh during a press event at mecklenburg county they said that we're gonna skip him because uh, he's he's a little weird to me. project so only hold on i can't with that guy <laughs> going to be very clearly in the middle of the French Quarter, very clear um, where we're, um, we're testing as well as vaccines will be available. They have multiple events. Same with Atlanta. Um, they've promoted already through the networks of Black Gay Pride. And they're actually Black building Gay on some Pride. great success in Atlanta. Fulton County just got to have categories, guys. That, um, actually um, almost 70% of their vaccines so far in their vaccination effort have actually been given to people um, who are black and brown. So I think that this is going to be another great nice. uh, experience where the local public health officials work with their community to identify to what's them. the best way to get the word out at these big events. So I think it'll be really exciting to see. Instead of like, you know, out. maybe canceling the events because there's an outbreak going on. No. We don't areas. want to do that. Thank you. 
Take another question, Kevin. Postponing. Uh, no. Emily Woodruff at the New Orleans Advocate. Oh, I Hi think there, this is Emily Woodruff. I'm with the Advocate in Tom's Um I think I like question. Um, zoned out so for a lot of this. I'm wondering if you can tell me about the decision to send vaccines to New Orleans for the event rather than in advance. I know our state officials advocated for more vaccine, vaccines, um, you know, as far back as July. Um, and so most people here won't probably have even had their second shot by the time uh, the event happened this weekend. So can you tell me um, about that decision and, and just how people should think about their level of protection going into this? You don't have any protection yeah, with well, the vaccine. Let me start with uh, Dr. Descalaxis to talk about uh, the different right events and also the pilot that we've talked about and the importance of reaching out to people to uh, use them to vaccinate those with uh, at-risk to monkeypox. Uh, monkey Great, I'll start and I'll make sure Dr. McQuiston doesn't have uh, anything else to add, so I'll, I'll hand the baton to her after. So um, I think the decision to send vaccines to New Orleans, specifically for, for Southern decadence, was responsive to the community and the local government. And so I think we heard loud and clear um, that given the sort of um, event and the, uh, and the fact that it does attract many gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men and others in the queer community go again. to that space, it was a great opportunity to get folks ready for the event in terms of getting some vaccines on the ground early. Yay, fun! We gotta get vaccinated to at the event. Who won't go to a clinic? Or Yay! Let's go have fun. Get vaccinated. In, uh, frankly, less stigmatizing Where are we? That can occur <laughs> in the events. <laughs> I think so one insane. of the really important things that CDC has done in terms of setting this up, along with having people on the ground, as you heard from the governor, is being very clear about what guidance is to the way this dude is smiling right now. So that first shot doesn't mean that you're protected for the event. Um, you're not protected at all. Lots of other strategies um, that they can reduce risk of acquiring monkeypox, but also make it clear that that shot's not for today. It's for four weeks from now, plus two weeks after that second dose when you get maximum protection. Hilarious. Dr. McQuiston, not sure if you Maximum protection. Amazing. I think the only thing I would add is, yes, we certainly um, had a request from Louisiana uh, with asking for large amounts of vaccine, um, you know, some time ago, but I think it was actually the um, interagency uh, decision to move to intradermal dosing that freed up enough doses that we could begin to plan a much larger strategy and knew that we had enough to provide. And so I think that that is one of the reasons why, um, why, why perhaps the vaccine is coming out now for Louisiana rather than in July. So we just wanted to flag that. This should be called White House Thank Briefing you, on Monkey uh, Monkeypox Vaccine. Like, that's what Washington it is. Post. It's just a vaccine commercial. Hi, um, can you hear me? Yeah, Unfortunately, can. yes. Uh, Dimitri, can you expand uh, more on how how this equity-focused uh, vaccine uh, distribution is going to work? You mentioned how... Um, Every time I hear Dimitri, I think of Dr. Strangelove. What kind of interventions are, are we uh, t talking about here? Great question. So it's going to be very similar to um, the uh, allocations for the large events. It just will uh, allow jurisdictions to work with their community to identify a handful, a little package of interventions and, and equity strategies that may work for them. So I gave some examples. It can be really um, in the eye of the beholder. Again, what happens on the jurisdiction level really involves that important community engagement and figuring out what will work in their space. So um, it means um, letting the CDC know what that plan is, having them review it, and then providing an allocation uh, to address um, what the, uh, the vision is. 
so there are lots of examples. So it can be working in, in specific venues, specific communities. Um, for instance, like thinking about like the house and ballroom community is one example, is like one strategy that could be great. Uh, it attracts a lot of, of, uh, of younger folk who are black and brown. So it could be a great strategy to sort of Categories. connect that community. Um, those are, tend to be smaller events and won't hit the threshold of 50,000. So it's really a, a way to extend the equity plan to not only look at these larger events, but also more local, smaller events. Where the fuck are we? Okay, by the way, if you were wondering who these people are, there's Javier, I don't know how this is, Xavier, whatever, Javier Becerra, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services for some reason, even though he had no fucking experience in that in California where he was, whatever the hell, Secretary of State or some shit, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he was something here. And then John Bell Edwards from the governor of Louisiana and Don O'Connell was the assistant secretary for preparedness and response for the development, sorry, Department of Health and Human Services. And then we got this motherfucker who was just talking, Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis, yep, monkeypox response deputy coordinator for the White House. And Bob Fenton, that dude that I did a little thing about him. Uh, monkeypox response coordinator who doesn't speak as much. Interesting. Let's skip to something interesting. <laughs> At it yet, and would benefit from it, but making sure that the educational measures, the all of the information that they need to stay safe, is something that can be provided along with it. So it's it's an opportunity to meet people where they are. And um, one of the things that was discussed, it's also an opportunity to reach those who might not have equitable access to vaccine in where they live um, and and where they're able to access care normally. So Dimitri, I'm sure you have something to add. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. I'll just add that, um, you know, I think clear messaging is um, really the cornerstone of how this uh, outbreak has been approached specifically to gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. And regardless of the event, other men who have power to allow them to make decisions that will help them uh, prevent transmission or acquisition of monkeypox. And so I think we have really good evidence as an example from an, uh, a, a morbidity and uh, mor morbidity and mortality weekly report that was released last week that showed that gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men are actually taking steps in their behaviors to reduce risk. And so it's about less about the event and about the people and their dedication. Risk of what? To, uh, How really many people died? I thought that dude said it was like one person. We're seeing clear signals that um, that this community is doing that. Plus, with Weird. vaccine availability, this is a fabulous opportunity for individuals to get their first dose. So all in all, I think um, that the decision is local. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think that uh, the community, I think, is sp speaking with their feet, um, asking for vaccine as well as with their actions, reducing some doing of that. their behaviors that could lead to uh, acquisition of monkeypox. Kevin, we'll take another question. Last question. Let's go to Spring Wilson at Fox in. I didn't Rome. watch all of it here. Like it's thirty something minutes. I'm skipping. Do you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Unfortunately, yeah, so yes. So with all vaccines, uh, of course, you guys know better than I do that there's a lot of hesitancy. So yeah, how do you get people to embrace taking the shots? You can't. <laughs> Let me first start with. Is that what they're here for? And Doctor. Question, and then I'll ask Dr. Daskalakis to add to that. Daskalakis! No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, the monkeypox vaccine experience has been one that has been quite surprising experience. to me personally at CDC. Um, 
There has been no shortage of individuals lining up wanting vaccine from the very first moment that monkeypox was sure. reported here in the United States. It's been keeping up with that demand that the I fear think form has been a challenge. So we've not really seen a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Um, I think as more vaccine gets in arms and people become protected, we'll be able to focus in on maybe who is elected to not get vaccinated and, and what information can we provide to them that might help change their minds. And so I'm sure Dimitri has some ideas on this as well. I mean, I think you covered it great, Jenny, but I'll say that, you know, really looking at um, at what you're seeing in terms of vaccine administration, I want to raise up that Fulton County finding where really taking steps to address equity means that their story is a lot different than other parts of the country. So like I said, they actually just put out data that up almost 69% of their vaccines that have been given so far are in uh, in people of color. And it just shows it is that, uh, that really the way that you build confidence is by really making vaccines Pandering. accessible and making sure that we elevate voices of people who are getting vaccine and um, and speak to the community. So I think that I'm really, uh, our next chapter here is not about vaccine hesitance, but about vaccine confidence and making sure that we build in systems that really improve equity and make sure vaccines are getting not only in arms, but in arms of people who really need it. Nobody needs it. With that, I want to uh, thank huh. you for joining us today. And especially I guess he's thank just the Governor host. Edwards for joining us today. Uh, and all the questions as we work together. He's reading a sheet of paper. Government to I can't be sure that we vaccinate uh, those at highest risk. And uh, the today's brief equity events. Will he was just writing so thank this. Thank you. Have a good day. Wow, that's the the guy in charge of things. Um, and the woman who was speaking from the CDC. Sorry, the woman who was speaking from the CDC was Captain Jennifer McQuiston the CDC's monkeypox response incident manager. <laughs> so she's the manager. Okay. So that happened. That that was the thing that happened and I watched it. And you had to listen to it and I apologize. No, I don't. But anyway, I forgot to mention the metaverse because there's metaverse news, but you probably are aware of it. MTV, what is it called? VMAs came out, they happened. I saw them in the corner of my screen on YouTube. They were trying to promote it to me, and I'm like, uh, do you know who I am? All right. So I did find out that there was a metaverse component to it that was getting a lot of buzz, and not in a good way. But a lot of people were talking about it. So I'll go over that real quick. Um, basically, it was Eminem and Snoop Dogg, you know, Illuminati puppets, allegedly. Sabrina Tapa one day ago from the street. So here we go. All right. Eminem and Snoop Dogg bring viewers into the Bored Ape universe at the MTV Music Awards. I went to this because I can't show you the performance because I'm not a video podcast. So this will give you an image of what happened at least. Okay, rappers Eminem and Snoop Dogg transported fans to the metaverse at the 2022 MTV Movie movie Awards. I want it to be the Movie Awards. Music Awards. And it's actually not supposed to be that either. It's supposed to be Video Music Awards, but they forgot the video part. That's fine. It's whatever. This weekend, transforming into bored ape characters during their high-octane performance okay, of the song From the D to the LBC, which was first released during Ape Fest 2022, which is a thing that happened. The track started with the rap icons, okay, shifting from a marijuana-fueled haze to a polychromatic metaverse 
where the simian rappers were flying in the air and spitting rhymes at a rapid clip. Oh shit, this is MTV, Eminem asked himself, suddenly jolted awake. Eminem quickly immersed himself again in the Bored Ape Metaverse, which plugs the other side metaverse game that Yuga Labs is expected to launch soon, so it's a commercial. But Twitter users were unimpressed by the performance, with one commenter saying Dragoneer even one commenter named Dragoneer even saying, the animation is barely better than what we had 25 years ago. Others compare the rappers to an airsats version of gorillas. Both music artists are heavily invested in crypto, and particularly the Bored Ape Yacht Club ecosystem. What the fuck? With Eminem spending $450,000 on his ape and Snoop Dogg buying the high-valued highly valued NFT last December. The creators of the much-hyped Bored Ape Yacht Club announced the Other Side Metaverse game this year. It's a mashup of massive multiplayer online role-playing games and Web3, but no scheduled launch date has been unveiled yet. Think of it as a meta-RPG where the players own the world, your NFTs can become playable characters, and thousands can play together in real time, Other Side said. Other Side said that it hopes to be a collaborative like Dungeons and Dragons and give players an opportunity to instantly evolve, constantly evolve and iterate with the game. Iterate? You mean interact? It's fine. Don't worry about it. Right now, anyone holding on, holding an other deed, NFT, this is like another language to me, is eligible to take part, and more than 4,000 players have already take, undertaken a voyage to the biogenic swamp, where they were able to jump, run, and dance, among other activities. Yuga Labs said it was already has already logged more than $1 billion from NFT sales of the virtual land. As far as Eminem and Snoop Dogg are concerned, there's a strong indication they will continue to extol the benefits of crypto and NFTs to anyone that will listen. Snoop's latest album even paid homage to the coming Web3-centric universe with the title Metaverse, the NFT drop, Volume 1. American actor Seth Green is also expected to wade into the BAYC ecosystem with the release of an, of an animated series called White Horse Tavern featuring bored apes living with humans. Well, that sounds fun to nobody. And then we have, like, a thing that they actually had at the MTV Movie Video Music Awards, my bad, um, where I had not even been aware that Vendiverse had been, like, in the lexicon for so long, and that MTV had Metaverse-related shit, like, content and stuff. So... This was news to me, but this is who won the best metaverse performance. So enjoy this dystopian artifact. I hate that song, by the way. It's trash. This song is trash. I don't care if you like it. I I don't. I just don't. I don't like this. This is trash to me. It's 
Worse than industrial music to me. I turned it down because I can't. Oh, this is just like the most annoying thing. This is Minecraft. That was a virtual band. It's easy because they don't have to do their jobs. Yay. And then this is um, just a bunch of Minecraft BTS members. They're also newly Illuminati, allegedly. Allegedly. Not her. Yeah, okay, fine. Roblox. Why not? And again, I'll leave it in so you can watch the visual feast yourself. I'll leave it into the show notes. Who the fuck is Wave? I mean, what is Wave? Not who. It's not a person. Sorry. I don't know what these universes are. What the fuck is this? It's literally... What is this? I don't know what Wave is. It must be a game or something that they do. Oh, this is so annoying. I can't. Fortnite! I thought that was go gone. I thought they were done with Fortnite, but it's still around. Going into the metaverse. This song is dumb as fuck, by the way. Do you like this song? I don't get it. It's boring as fuck. It's repetitive as fuck. There's no point to it. It's trash. At least this is a good song. Of course, they're in the Illuminati, Bill. Roblox. The cool metaverse. All these games going into the metaverse. This song is old as fuck. Why is this a thing? Whatever, it's fine. That happened. I don't care who won. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think it was Blackpink or whatever. Which makes sense. But... You had to endure that because I had to. I didn't have to. I subjected myself to that as well as you. And I apologize. So here's some Biden to make you feel better. <laughs> I guess. That's where we're at. Oh my gosh. I hate it here. Um, Alright. On to the next thing. And that is the speech that happened today. Where is it though? I forgot where it is. Uh... A lot of things happen here, but I'm going to focus on a couple of them uh, to, to spare you. So 49.50 is where it gets weird when he comes up and um, he addresses the crowd in the background a lot when he's on camera. So he's like back towards the camera a lot of the speech. And this speech was in, let's see here. He's discussing his Safer America plan to reduce gun crime. And I don't know where the fuck he is. Sorry. I don't care. It doesn't matter where he is. Let's move on. Um, so this is Joe Biden introducing that. And can't help himself in the beginning of this, but to say something outrageous that I'm sure no one in the mainstream media gives a shit about, unless they're from Fox. 
Gene Finnegan Biden from Greenridge would say, please excuse my back when I'm speaking. I apologize. And by the way, you know one of the best better than the front, I guess. The United States is the Marine Band. They're the best in the world. Stand up, guys. No. They are the very, 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 very best. They can not only play, they know how to fight too. <laughs> God love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. Well, look, folks. It's great to... Yeah, let's just ignore the fact that he just, like, randomly, like, saw and heard... Well, he heard her. Fair enough. Like, he heard her say she loved him. And then he looks at her and says, How are you, baby? How old are you? To a child. What does it matter how old she is? She loves you, or whatever, for some fucking reason. Move on. Like, why? Why focus on that for even a minute? Oh, because he likes children. That's why. Because he has a serious thing where he has assaulted children on camera. And that's just the shit he does in front of us. What does he do behind closed doors? Well, you probably have to read his daughter's journal for that. But you won't get to. To be here in Wilkesbury, I mean that's sincerely. Wilkesbury, okay, whatever. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Mayor Brown. Thank you for the introduction and the passport in this great city. And uh, Mayor Cognetti, it's almost. We're almost near. We're almost in heaven. We're almost in Scranton. I wish. Almost. I was almost in heaven. Being raised in Scranton, they say you're going down the line. Any rate, you know. Uh, Any rate. Any rate. Okay. <laughs> And what a leadership lineup you have here in Pennsylvania. I want to thank your outstanding governor, Tom Wolf. Tom and I have been friends a long time. He's truly one of the best governors in the United States of America. Okay, good for him. Um, then we're going to go to 5520. Well, we could go to before that. What my crime plan okay. is all about. You know, I call it the Safe for <coughs> America's plan. Both your members of Congress voted for it. It's based on a simple notion. When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. Oh, yeah, that was important. Fund I'm glad I police. did that one, then. Everybody's going to be talking about that and one. Give them, we expect them to do everything. We expect them to be to protect us, for to sure. be psychologists, to be sociologists. I mean, we expect you to do everything. I'm not joking. Everything. I thought he was joking. You realize more police officers are killed dealing with domestic violence than anything else? You realize that? No. Point is, we have There's so a point? much of you. So much of you. Didn't know that. I've not met a cop who likes a bad cop. Okay. There's bad in everything. There's lousy senators, there's lousy presidents, there's lousy doctors, there's lousy lawyers. No, I'm serious. I agree with him about the president. But I don't senators. know any police officer that feels good about the fact that there may be a lousy cop. Now, I'm tired of not giving the kind of help they need. Folks, look. 
folks. We're in a situation in this country where we have to give them additional resources they need to get their job done. Matt gets it, Matt Cartwright, and I'm not, this is not hyperbole. Matt's the chair of the powerful subcommittee that controls the funding for public safety. He knows what it means investing in effective and accountable community policing that builds public strength and strengthens public what? safety. What? I'm old enough to remember when cops used to walk the beat in Wilmington and in That didn't make sense. Because they knew everybody. They knew the kid. They knew if someone was in trouble, they knew whose house to go and knock on the door and say, Mom, your son just did. Is this him I'm improvising? Being, I'm not being facetious. Okay. They knew the neighborhoods. As part of the American Rescue Plan, a sign of the law last year, which they voted for, we set aside $350 billion, with a B, billion dollars for state and local governments all across America and urge them to use it like your governor did to make communities safer. Here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf is using $250 million of that money to reduce crime and violence across this state. And reduce, not eliminate. And Mayor Brown. And Mayor Brown just described how it's helping fund community policing here in Wilkesbury. But guess what? Every single Republican member of Congress, every single one in this state, every single one voted against the support for law enforcement. They talk about how much they love it. They voted against the funding. All right, let's skippy skip. We're going to skip to 105. Because this is insane. This is another one that he's like, people are like, what the fuck? Because there's always something what the fuck about this motherfucker. I swear. We took on the NRA, we're going to take him on again, and we won. And we will win again. 105.13 is where I started. NRA, boo, yeah. We're not stopping here. Let's yell. Time to yell. I'm determined to ban assault weapons in this country. Oh, okay. Determined. Determined. I did it once before, and I'll do it again. That's a warning. For many of you home, I want to be clear. It's not about taking away anybody's guns. In fact, we should be treating responsible gun owners as examples how every gun owner should behave. I have two shotguns at home. I can't, it's a long story, but it's I It's a long story, guys. Don't ask about it. But I support the Second Amendment. And I support don't, the don't Second ask. Amendment. But the Second Amendment has one of the most one of the most conservative justices in history, Justice Scalia once wrote, like quote, like most rights. Like quote, the rights like, granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. They're not unlimited. Right now you can't go out and buy an automatic weapon. You can't go out and buy a cannon. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say Here it comes. it's all about keeping America safe. He said America this before, by the way. If you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use that's used to provide this. And who are they shooting at? Shooting at these guys behind me. What? Folks, look. Who they shooting at? I went to every major school shooting around the, in the country. Since I was he went to every major school shooting in around. Vice President President. That made sense. Over 48,000 people died from gunshot wounds in 2021. This in is the really fun. This part. Over 26,000 
by suicide. Suicide, yes, because when guns are the number one killer. Listen, listen. The guns are suicide the number one killer is how they kill people. In America. Kill themselves. Of children, the number With one. Gun inflicted wounds. More gun children die, die from guns than active duty police and Gunshot. active duty military personnel combined. Hear that again? More children in America die from guns. I hear you. Than active duty police and active duty military in the United States combined. We have to act. We have to act for those families in Buffalo, Uvalde, Newtown. El Paso, Parkland, Charleston, Las Vegas. Read the teleprompter. Every one of those sites. Sit down with those parents. I spent four hours last time. Met with every single one of the parents and families. Of Not that he was counting or anything. See the looks on their faces. Think about it. Think about the devastation that's occurred. We have to act for all those kids gunned down on our streets every single day that never make the news. There's a mass shooting every single day in this country, in the streets of America, every single day. You have to ask, you have to ask so our kids can learn to read in school. Ask, act, Instead struggle. of learning to duck and cover. Literally, schools all across America. I'm pretty sure they're still learning to up. read, though. The psychological damage done to our kids, not just COVID. What it's impacted, how it's impacted us. And on top of that, a child going to school, children see this on television. You know, we're living in a country awash with weapons of war. Weapons of war. What about your weapons that you just gave to. Designed to take on an enemy. Ukraine, you dipshit. For God's sake. Those don't matter? What's the rationale for these weapons? Ban bombs, bitch. Outside of a war zone. Outside of war zone. That's the only time you should use them, right, guys? When I was recently in, in Ukraine, give them the Nazis. Almost as they just say to some of the kids in here. Dumbass. You know what some of the parents had to do? Supply DNA. Supply DNA. These AR-15 just rips the body apart. Could not identify. Could not identify. Oh shit. The body. Yelling again. If he's not yelling, he's whispering. A 20-year-old kid can walk in and buy one? Chill out, dude. DNA! Yeah, I heard you the first time. What the hell's the matter with us? What the hell's the matter with you? I'm not joking. Think about it. What are we doing? What are you doing in Ukraine, bitch? How many... My dad used to love to hunt. I don't care. When we lived in Scranton. How many deer or bear wearing Kevlar vests? Huh? Not a joke. You are a joke. Did you realize the bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun? Five times as lighter than <sighs> Pierce Kevlar. Uh-huh. Imagine being a parent. I can't. I'm just losing a child. I can't imagine that. Not being able to physically identify the child or the adult because they've literally been blown apart. We equip, we equip our service members with the most lethal weapons on earth to protect all of us. No, we don't, fucker. Americans. They don't protect us in Ukraine, bitch. Them to 
received. You just gave them money. Significant training. I mean, training and weapons. Extensive background checks. Flying sack of shit. Mental health assessments. They have to learn how to lock up and store their weapons responsibly or they get kicked out. We let any stranger, an 18-year-old, walk in, a 20-year-old, and buy an AR-15. That's why back in 1994, I took on the NRA and passed the assault weapons ban. For 10 years, Which took care of everything. mass shootings were down. 10 years in a row since I passed that legislation in 1994 as a chair, as a senator. Whatever you were. But Whatever you were. Four Republicans let that ban expire. What happened? Mass shootings in America tripled. Tripled. It's time to ban these. Time to ban these weapons. We did it before. We can do it again. Folks. Applause. Break. It's time to hold every elected official's feet to the fire and ask them, why for banning assault weapons, yes or no? Anyway. So that's where I'm going to leave that shit fest, and I don't want to go over two hours, so I'm going to end very abruptly. Uh, Nazis in Ukraine, totally fine. Dude, getting an AR-15, not fine. So, yeah, F-15s. So beware of the government, because you will never win against the government. You'll never win against the government is what Biden says and Biden knows what he's saying just like we do and he interjected he interjects himself in this speech you gotta watch it just for the lulls um, thank you so much for listening and watching in your head because you definitely imagine all of this and also watching the videos when you get the chance and I love you and sleep well patriots <laughs> compadres uh, sleep well, compadres. Bye.